Hey, and welcome back to the podcast. Very excited for today's show. It's been a bit of a long time in the making um, for various reasons, um, but excited that it's finally happening. Before we get into that, uh, as always, we're brought to you by the fine people at Cathcart Associates, technical recruitment experts in Edinburgh, with further kind of reach and offices um, around the north of England, um, Bangkok, Bristol, and indeed Finland. So get in touch on cathcartassociates.com um, or uh, at Cathcart Recruit on Twitter. Um, so today uh, on the podcast, we've got Alistair Andrew. Um, he is the co-founder of Ertz. They are an AI software company uh, headquartered in Edinburgh. They're rapidly moving from kind of what you would be called a startup to a scale-up. They develop uh, an intelligent planning platform called Braid. I'll let Alistair tell you a little bit more about it so I don't butcher it. So yeah, please welcome to the podcast, Alistair Andrew. Welcome to the podcast, Alistair. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's been a long time in the making. I feel like we spoke about it like... I don't know, five, six months ago? Uh, yeah, it must have been before. Uh, it was certainly kind of December last year, and then I think I was away traveling, and then, yeah, kind of uh, it's alarming how fast the year can get away from you. Uh, luckily, yeah, I know. Luckily, we're on enforced lockdown, so I can't get away from you. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to get some great guests on, because I know that everyone is just stuck in the house, so they may as yeah. well. No, yeah, I think we uh, when we first, first spoke about it, it was uh, at the time where I'd been wanting to do the podcast for ages, and I just didn't have, didn't have the guts to do it. Um, so just started speaking to lots of people about it and not doing anything about it. So we're finally here, which is good. As with most of the podcasts, we always kind of start on education. We've had a lot of weird and wonderful stories about where people have went to uni, not went to uni, why they didn't go, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so it's actually been quite a fun way to start it. Researching everyone's history, like, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, it depends what people put online, though, because as much as I uh, like to do the research on it, like there's only so much digging you can do on people's education and all that kind of stuff. So um, thank- you thankfully, found- yours was quite easy. Um, <laughs> have, you, have you found anyone out? Have you found any, like, hangabout? That's not a real university. Hey, what's that? <laughs> I wasn't that. We did one yesterday um, where there was no university. So I had a whole uh, spiel about kind of getting into the industry she got into without going to uni and how great it was. Um, and it turns out that she had been to uni. She just didn't stick it on her profile because it was a long time ago. And she, it's not relevant to what she does now. So there's a bit, there's a bit of that going on, and then, yeah, it's all, it's all kind of weird and wonderful stuff. Um, but no, you went to uh, the Uni of Strathclyde and did computer science, right? Yeah, that was right. Like a fairly, um, yeah, pretty kind of standard comp sci background. So it's not hugely surprising that I ended up kind of writing software uh, for a living. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I had great four years there, and um, I met a lot of good friends that I'm still in touch with. And uh, yeah, a lot of good kind of, there's a good community and good lecturers and things that I'm still kind of keep in touch with. Occasionally get slagged off on Twitter by, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> nice. Were you always planning on going into kind of computer science? Was that, was that the plan from school? Yeah, I'd always been interested in um, programming. Like, so when we, we did kind of computing studies or whatever it was called, um, at school and we got to use like some old school BBC micros was what we did our kind of programming classes on and it was always just kind of um it's quite an interesting uh it's quite an interesting process programming when you're kind of you're kind of like building a a house of cards and like okay this needs to do this and then you kind of build up all the state and then like it's quite frustrating until it all runs and then there's a kind of sense of elation uh yeah it's it's kind of like you know like like painting a picture or something but it's more precise uh it has like kind of there are definite rules and you get feedback like oh yeah obviously that bit's wrong so yeah i kind of quite like that and i thought yeah i could do that as a 
I'd, I'd be interested in kind of trying to do that as a job. So kind of going and doing computing at uni seemed the, the kind of natural option. And nice. went and kind of looked at various kind of Scottish unis uh, and just ended up, I kind of liked the vibe at Strathclyde more. They had their kind of motto is like a place of, of useful learning and it felt more, um, it felt just more like kind of grounded, like the, the people there. I kind of went to another Glasgow-based uni and like their open day and uh, I don't know, the people there were just kind of a bit more like, oh yeah, who are, who are you? You know, like we are yeah. X university and it just felt a bit more like they were a bit more up their own arse uh, and that wasn't really... Yeah, it didn't shine with, with me. Uh, so. no, that's fair enough. Uh, we had a discussion when um, I spoke to Richard from Peak about how uh, there's a few people in our office that love to tell everyone any chance they get they went to Edinburgh University. Um, I, think that's, <laughs> I think that's the most up its own arse, maybe other than St Andrews, but yeah. um, no, fair enough. Uh, I appreciate appreciate that. And then again, once you've done the computer science course, um, I think this is right, you ended up in industry for, for a year or so yeah. um, as a Java developer, yeah. That's right, yeah. I went to um, Graham Technologies, it was at the time, and they were like, at, at that point, they were one of the kind of larger recruiters, certainly in the kind of the kind of west coast of Scotland um, for software graduates, um, and they were doing, um, so they wrote a kind of product called GTX, which was like kind of business processing engine, and um, I ended up working on a part of that, which was looking at trying to do te- kind of speech interface into that so that you could kind of interact with business processes by talking to them. <laughs> kind of like, um, you know, when you used to phone up um, the cinema and say, hey, I want uh, two tickets for the taking of Pelham, one, two, three, or whatever, <laughs> whatever the Kevin Bridges sketches. They were kind of trying to do that, um, that sort yeah. of stuff. And kind um, of virtual receptionists and, and bits and bobs. Yeah, and okay, that was, cool. That was a kind of interesting because um, they like I'm from um, from kind of Renfrewshire, so um, Graham Technology are based in a kind of uh, quite a kind of historic used to be a rubber factory or something out in Inchinnan, which is like oh, yeah, the, yeah. the edge of the the airport's kind of Art Deco building. So it was um, yeah, it was kind of interesting to kind of have lived in Glasgow for a few years as an undergraduate and then be basically a kind of ten minute drive from my house again. Um, so yeah, yeah that's not bad. Um, and is Graham Technology the one that ended up being taken over a few times? Um, yeah. So they, they, like Sword Caboodle, Kana, like all that kind of stuff. Was that the same yeah, one? Yeah, I think yeah, they're yeah, now yeah. Verint. Um, I, occasionally, oh, like, yeah, yeah. I occasionally see people that I knew from back in the day um, at, at different events. But yeah, I, I believe they're called Verint nowadays. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and then, yeah, so, I mean, did you uh, did you enjoy kind of applying some of the things you'd learned at uni in the kind of quote-unquote real world. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting just to get that experience of what it's like to to write software as part of like a larger organisation. Um, and it's quite different from, you know, you at uni you've got your projects and you might have a group project, which is like kind of four people kind of contributing to the same thing. But it's all quite kind of, you generally have quite clear lines of division like when you're working as part of a real software team, like you just need to be a lot more rigorous on your kind of, uh, right, who's doing what, who's changed using version control properly. A lot of things that um, that are kind of bread and butter, mm. um, but you don't really encounter, or certainly back in the day, you didn't really encounter that that much as part of a comp side degree. So yeah, from that standpoint, it, it was really useful to like, yeah, 
you thought you could program language X, uh, and then there's like, can you program it with a team of like however many, like fifty other developers or whatever there was there at the time? Uh, yes, good for collaboration. Yeah, it was certainly um, yeah, it was certainly interesting to see like what it took to kind of ship a piece of enterprise software. Nice. Um... And then you ended up going back. Was this kind of? So did you leave kind of uh, Graham Technology and then go back into the PhD? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of in my final year, um, I'd done my kind of final year project with um, with a guy called um, Derek Long was my supervisor, and he he was kind of part of the the AI research group at Strathclyde, and I found working with him really interesting, and I thought the kind of the kind of problems that they were looking into were just um, pretty fascinating and they kind of he kind of mentioned that there was a possibility of like a, a stipend or a grant coming up um, with another chap who was moving from Edinburgh University, a guy called um, John Levine who ended up being my PhD supervisor so nice. um, it had always been on the cards, it was more a kind of question of timing and I I think I, I got to the end of my undergraduate degree and I, I had a kind of sense of like, I still don't feel like I really know anything <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you do um, you do however many courses over the the year, like, um, and some of them are kind of like like ha- one semester class, and others are kind of two semester classes. And you you're only really doing like kind of ten ten uh, hour lectures or whatever plus uh, things. Each one of those topics is like a lifetime's worth of work. So you feel like, but at the end you're like, yeah, I've got a degree, but I feel like each each one of those classes I did over those four years could be an entire work, uh, life's work. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, still, I felt like, man, I, I still don't only just start in my craft. Um, and I felt like, yeah, the chance to do a PhD was really like, uh, well, I feel like by the end of that, I'll know something. <laughs> <laughs> and did you feel like that at the end or did you feel like you could have done even more? Oh, I felt like you could do even more. I think, um, the kind of the further you go, the more you realise how little you actually know, or or how kind of narrow a niche you know quite a lot about. Um, and I think that's just kind of increasing specialisation. You know, you go from like primary school when you, hey, I can write legible characters and do basic arithmetic, <laughs> and then you start to go to high school and you do kind of like, well, I don't do as much writing and and arithmetic. I also do a bit of French and a bit of like art and a bit of everything. And then you go to kind of university and you do like a specific subject um, or, you know, like joint whatever. And then, yeah, like so it just kind of gets more and more specialised. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, nice. Um, I did you enjoy the kind of process of doing a PhD? I've spoken to a lot of people um, in the kind of world of data and some people were just at that point of handing it in and never looking at anything they've done ever again. And other people kind of loved it and would probably do it again. Yeah, it's like I really enjoyed it. It was, um, yeah, it's just it's it's probably like a, like the only time in your life um, where you have kind of control over exactly what you do, and it, it's entirely your own work. You know that you have to that ultimately you need to kind of present to the world and say, you know what, I did this. This is this is interesting and novel, and I stand by it. And you can't say, ah, oh, yeah, that bit's a bit rubbish because. Actually, the junior dev wrote that bit, or, or uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's kind of it's your kind of chance to say, you know what, um, I did this. There are some bits that aren't perfect, and here are the caveats, and um, and it's just a kind of chance to really to to be master of your own destiny. You know, like you kind of investigate things that you find interesting, and no one else can tell you 
or you can get guidance from your supervisor, but it's not their work. You know, it has to be your work. Um, and I think the, the community there was, was the other thing that I really enjoyed. There was just a lot of different, different diverse people doing different subjects. So you're all kind of doing a, you know, a PhD, but everyone's one is, is about something, it has to be about something different. Uh, so you, you kind of, you're all kind of on the same journey, but, but you can even be in the same research group sitting at the same desk and actually not like be doing totally different things. And I, I, th- I think that was, yeah, just, just a really interesting group of people that, that go into that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, like I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, nice. But, uh, I can see, I can see the flip side though. I can see why some people are just like, my God, it's a total grind, and it, I think it you learn a lot about yourself, uh, your own kind of intrinsic motivations, and um, and yeah, I, I, your own kind of work ethic, and that can be, I guess, quite frightening in some respects. Like you know, when you're confronted with like, ah, uh, I had a kind of perception of how good I was, and actually, <laughs> it doesn't feel like that. The yeah, other no, thing is scary, yeah. Yeah, I think it's kind of I think if you've got an ego, um it's probably quite difficult. I think like when, <laughs> I think there's a kind of interesting uh, or certainly I find like people kind of assume that in some way that you're clever um and actually you're probably just tenacious. Um I, I think <laughs> you know one of the things I tell people is that um like people think because you've got a PhD you're the cleverest person in the room like when you're when you're going through that process, you go to conferences and things, you just rapidly get used to being the dumbest person in the room. <laughs> and then that's kind of, uh, you know, like I think accepting that and just trying to kind of, um, tr- yeah, I think just kind of accepting there's a whole bunch of stuff you don't know and, and going into situations with a really open mind is one of the kind of things that I learned from it. Yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. I think you're right, though. I think even when you're, like, when we're looking at recruitment, when you see somebody with a PhD, you're always just like, oh, they must be really clever. And everybody says something similar to you. It's just like, when you complete a PhD, most of it is just like, you you just kind of gut it out to a certain extent. Yeah, there's always, like, a kind of series of, like, I could have gone on more. Like, I saw, like, like uh, there's a famous article, and it's basically like, look, it's just a PhD. It's not a Nobel Prize. <laughs> so there's a kind of there's an aspect that it, again, it's just another stepping stone. Like gaining your PhD is really just like a kind of job qualification for for going into academia. Um, so again, it doesn't need to be perfect. You need to be able to kind of draw a line on it under it and yeah. say, yeah, actually, like this this body of work is is novel and enough. Uh, and that's quite difficult because it's kind of like um, uh, it's kind of like running a race uh, where nobody's really explicitly told you how far it is. Um, that, <laughs> that that would be the way I'd describe it. It's kind of like you you go out and you you kind of set off in a direction and you run and run and run run, and then there's a kind of like okay, is is this far enough? <laughs> Have I crossed the line or not? Um, and then someone else kind of says, yeah, well done like the line was miles back or no, you need to keep going. <laughs> so it's a kind of, yeah, it's an interesting experience. That sounds like my idea of hell, not the PhD part. They're going for a run and not, not knowing when it finishes. Um, no, that's great. And, and you touched upon it a couple of times, but you mentioned you really enjoyed academia. Um, and I think I read somewhere from an interview you did, uh, maybe with Codebase, um, that one of the reasons you kind of didn't decide to stay in academia was that kind of, I don't know, that kind of, 
life of writing loads of papers that maybe don't go anywhere or they just go to the same place and you don't end up kind of, I don't know, doing your own thing. Was that kind of one of the reasons not to stay? Yeah, potentially. Like I think, um, yeah, it was it was that kind of like effectively it's a kind of treadmill of like the publish or perish kind of kind of thing. You're only as good as your last publication and it's just about churning out like papers and you see like over the course of kind of study, you see the same people publishing very much the same kind of work, like salami sliced, like little kind of slight incremental improvements um, yeah. on things. And it's kind of like, that, that's fair enough because that's the game they need to play, you know, and and that's kind of how they're assessed. It's the kind of for the every couple of years, there's the, the research um, evaluation that the university tries to kind of judge how well it's doing. Um and and that's kind of based on like quality of number and quality of publications, um, and it's not quite the same as like when you're doing your your thesis, you're basically trying to produce one one good piece of work that's novel. Um, like once you're kind of a researcher, you need to to be kind of churning out a certain number of papers, uh, yeah. and then you've got that kind of balance of well, either that or you you're going into teaching. Um, and uh, like I have nothing against kind of um, like teaching. I just never felt that comfortable getting up in front of a room of people and trying to trying to educate them. <laughs> I kind of I was always interested in the um, I I kind of got interested in in the kind of helping people learn different technologies and things. Um, the stuff that I had been using from my own kind of research, the kind of languages and frameworks and things, and I. I'd kind of spend quite a bit of time just helping other users with problems. And I enjoyed that kind of problem solving aspect more than the writing, like writing papers or, or kind of doing lectures. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, yeah, I just think it's not, um, it's not an easy career. I think people from the outside think, Oh, you know, like academia, they live in their ivory tower and it's, uh, it's all cushy. Like it, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty kind of tough environment, especially like we've got a, a chap who joined us um, in the company last year, and he he kind of he was just basically fed up of of kind of going from short term grant to short term grant and, and not getting tenure, and it's just no way to live your life, especially if you've got a family and and you're thinking about your kind of longer term goals. Like you don't have that security. Um, uh, or, or at least it, it's not that easy to, to get that security. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so on the flip side of that, was it always <laughs> in the plan that you would run your own thing rather than going back to work for someone else, or, or did that kind of come about in a different way? Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, I'm just not sure I could work for someone else. So it kind of <laughs> it, it naturally fell out like... The, the kind of concept of like going in and, and having to be doing what someone else told me to do didn't really, you know, I'd basically become institutionalized. I, don't, I just don't think I could play that game. Uh, so that naturally felt, it meant that I had to do my own thing. Um, and it kind of so happened that setting up a business seemed like the best way to kind of actually benefit from my own labor. Um and um, it, it was just kind of coincidence that, that one of a uh, chap I'd met at, at Graham Technology that I was friends with, he'd obviously been having kind of similar thoughts and I'd been talking about um, the sort of problems that I'd been helping people with and the kind of the domains that you could apply some of the languages and techniques to kind of optimization problems. And he could see a kind of real 
overlap between what he'd ended up doing at the the bank um and yeah and so so rather than me setting it up on my own um we ended up kind of like setting up a business together and that that's really how kind of Eric's was born nice uh, so that was kind of 2013 time, right? So, um, yeah, do... I mean, if you look at our kind of company's house filing, um, I think it's basically the start of the tax year um, of 2013. But effectively, we'd been talking about it for a bit for about a year before that. Like, so I think it must have been 2012 ish that we'd kind of we decided. Yeah, this was something sensible. Or maybe sensible is the wrong. This is this is something <laughs> that we wanted. Yeah, something we want to take a have a crack at. Um, you know, like before we're kind of like before it just becomes like impossible in terms of you know your life commitments and things. Um, yeah. So we we done that, and it was really. I mean, I'd, I'd say we probably started in earnest at the very start of 2013. We ended up getting accepted into a kind of business incubator and in the kind of January intake. And that was really like, OK, cool. This is this is us starting the, the, the kind of 2013 um, the company founding dates more to do with um, we'd been using a kind of legal entity that, that my business partner, Andrew, had set up for a wee hobby project and, and 2013 is when we created a new company basically um, yeah okay cool and i suppose for anyone listening that doesn't know what else do how do you kind of explain it to people um so we write kind of planning and scheduling software for um large professional services firms um so we deal with kind of staff allocation basically and how you kind of manage the life cycle of projects hey how do you define Hey, we're going to do this work and we're going to need all these different people and we've got these other different people and where where and when should they do things and at the heart of that um, is kind of scheduling component but it's the main product braids a much wider application that lets you kind of manage and report on that nice and you mentioned that um your co-founder had kind of seen some of the application for that when he was working in kind of large banks um is that because those type of companies and also the professional service companies that you can think of, kind of like the big four and all that, are they or were they historically just kind of all running their own scheduling in their own departments in their own silos? Like it wasn't really talking to each other. Yeah, I mean, basically, we've kind of found different levels of of kind of uh, different levels of kind of tooling being used to support the scheduling firms, and I think like. Certainly, as a kind of outsider, you just kind of assume that massive companies are are in some way on the ball, and they must be doing something really clever. And actually, like, once you kind of scratch the surface, you realise that people are kind of um, doing a myriad of different things, and often, often it all boils down to to a bunch of Excel spreadsheets, um, which are kind of great for some things, but they weren't really designed for for a lot of the kind of use cases that that we do. So, like. I mean, the yeah, number of times where like people are amazed that you can just see a joined up view of like, hey, these are all the these are all the jobs that we need to do and the staff requests, and these are all the staff we've got. Like, what in one place we can see, see that? Um, but, so yeah, it's pretty interesting. Like when you start to kind of investigate people's business pain points. Yeah, it's just that simplicity thing, isn't it? So, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head that a lot of people think that big companies have got everything kind of in place. It's the same from when um, when I first started doing recruitment. I always thought the big companies would be the ones you want to work with. They've got it all dialed in. Um, it turns out they're the hardest to recruit for because there's 
so many people not knowing what's going on and so many people involved in it all. Um, whereas, yeah, yeah small companies seem to have it nailed on. Yeah, I think um, there's definitely, I think there's always scope to kind of Im- improve. And in kind of large organizations, it's obviously just a lot harder for, for people to kind of coalesce around a single way of doing things. And yeah, each, mm. like, they, they kind of grow organically. They've acquired different firms over the years and they've used different technologies. And yeah, it's just a constant kind of uh, battle for them to try. And, and, you know, some of these problems aren't necessarily top of their top of their hit list of things to kind of worry about. So so they just kind of they kind of soldier on and, and kind of don't realize that actually there's there's a better approach to some of the challenges that they face. And is your job then when, I mean, especially when you first started, but even now, is your job to kind of try and show them what they can do as quickly and easily as you can and then kind of spruce it up as you go and just try and get some kind of immediate buy-in? Yeah, definitely. It's kind of just about, partly it's kind of an education piece, you know, like, hey, why are you doing things like this? Actually, we could make this a lot simpler <laughs> and kind of joined up Um and and yeah. generally, I think we've found that the people are really receptive to, to that. Um, you know, they, they've got their own kind of um, their own kind of daily battles that they're trying to to deal with. And if you if you just kind of show them that actually we could simplify a lot of that, um, they're usually really receptive. It's not it's not like a really hard like people understand the benefit um, quite easily. Um, so yeah, no, hundred percent. And did you have? Um any kind of big challenges or, or things you weren't expecting with you and your co-founder when you first set up the business? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously a lot of people go to setting up a business and then, uh, I don't know, everything just kind of comes at once. So was there anything that was maybe more difficult than you thought or, or was a challenge at the early days? Um, I guess in the, so the early days, it was just me and Andrew and um, I was kind of finishing up. I was kind of finishing up writing my thesis and he was still working at the bank. Um, so we were kind of doing it part-time and that was quite difficult, kind of juggling different things. Yeah. But then also, like, we didn't really have a crystal idea of, of what we, we were what we were going to make, you know. So so the kind of the, the kind of kernel of the idea was that, um, that there's, like, lots of interesting kind of optimization problems out there, like, Staff scheduling is just one of them. There's vehicle routing and uh, uh, kind of different variants of um, like industrial problems are where kind of optimization technologies used mainly. So kind of things like um, scheduling in factories and kind of cutting steel into the right shapes and not wasting any, doing kind of airline staff allocation and a whole bunch of kind of really interesting specific applications. Yeah. Um, we thought, well, there, there's tons of places that this can be applied. But the, the challenge of that is, you know, you're only two people. You don't have any money. Like, so obviously you can't, you can't hope to tackle all, all those different domains. So, so there's a kind of like, what are you actually going to focus on? Where can you make a difference that other companies aren't doing things? Like that was definitely the challenge was just kind of honing in on one specific thing. And I think, you know, when we, we started, we, we thought it would be much more like a consultancy and we would do different projects. And actually, once we got some traction um, with kind of professional services scheduling, like just trying to, to make sure that we did a good job on that became, um, you know, it be quickly became apparent that like we, we couldn't do like t- 10 other different <laughs> projects. Um, like 
there was more than enough work in, in this one kind of field. Um, and, you know, like that's kind of seven years later. Uh, that's still kind of true. We've not really um, got to the stage where we've branched out much beyond our kind of core yet. Um, so I'd say like that's probably the, the biggest challenge for people um, who are starting out is to really hone in on on the thing that you can actually that that's different that you can do um, because it's easy to get kind of totally swept away by like a myriad of different opportunities and not actually be able to kind of make a meaningful difference in any of them. Yeah, no, it's bang on. That's exactly what um, Ewan from Anomalous said as well, that their technology could be applied to loads of industries, but they'd chosen the one that they thought they knew the most about and could have the most impact right now. And then they might look down the line further at other opportunities. So exactly the same as you guys. So um, yeah, no, I think we've seen a lot of startups since I've been doing this job where they've got some amazing technology or an amazing kind of like, I don't know, like the start of an idea, but they just run off in 10 different directions. And if there is only two people, three people, like that's just too difficult. Yeah. I mean, certainly that was kind of one of the things that we, that was kind of drilled into us in that kind of, those early days in the business incubator was just like focus, focus, focus. Like, I, and it's kind of difficult because, especially when you're you're going for investment and things like um, investors want to see that there's there's a much wider market yeah. for what you're for what you're doing. Um, so you need to be able to demonstrate that you can expand into different things. But it, it's so important to just actually like do something that's valuable well <laughs> um certainly initially like you just um you just you could easily get kind of lost in the doldrums of trying loads of different things and not really committing to anything yeah no great um and i suppose on the flip side of that you mentioned that when it was just the two of you that was what made it difficult but i think another interesting point would be that there's no quite a i mean i don't think you're you're not really a startup anymore, are you? It's more of a kind of scale up. So um, yeah, I think so. Like it's just kind of they just kind of kept kept starting and scaling until we like yeah, this we probably are a scale up rather than a startup. I don't really know the definition, but um, it seems like that. But from a kind of a growth perspective, did you? Um, uh, did you, I don't know. Did you two find it challenging to grow the company but also kind of keeping it as your own or was it always a plan to have a much much bigger company um i think kind of certainly yeah i I definitely it was never really kind of intended to be a kind of like two-man band style thing like so it was just natural that we would grow when when we could afford to do so um and i've really enjoyed the kind of experience of being part of a company that's been expanding especially I think um, it's amazing how much other people bring and shape uh, the kind of whole experience, and just really enjoy, like, you know, working with all the people that have kind of joined us on this this kind of journey so far. They've all brought something different and have made the whole kind of thing a lot better than just uh, me or Andrew would have done by ourselves. Um, and you know, like all our success is not due to <laughs> is due to them. Not really. Um, like we just kind of. Sort of sometimes I feel like a kind of arsonist, you know, like I just kind of struck the match <laughs> and, and let it is kind of whatever, uh, the, the, whatever ends up. just kind of exploded out of the way. Um, um, certainly, yeah. And did you notice a difference when it went from like, so this is something that I found um, when I joined the company, um, there was like six people and now there's 30 odd of us across like various countries. Um 
did you find it hard going from maybe the two of you, then maybe to that kind of core team of five, and then suddenly five became 30? Is it hard to keep kind of the culture and identity, or does it always just evolve anyway? It's uh, a good question. I guess um, it has, I mean, I think kind of it, before we got really big, or not that, that we are really big, but before, like comparatively, um, we, we started growing a lot more last year. Yeah. Um, we'd done some some work on like what was important to us as a company, like as people, and trying to kind of define that that kind of culture that had partly been kind of just inherent in me and Andrew, and, and partly kind of what other people had brought to the mix, um, and and trying to kind of actually document what was important to us. And I think that process at the time it felt kind of it felt quite quite strange to be doing, you know, when there's like eight of us in an office to try and uh, write down what our core values were and, and, and what that meant. But um, I, I think in hindsight, it's been really useful because it, it's helped kind of guide like who who joins the company and the kind of people that join and and that and that's kind of helped preserve it as it's grown. Like everyone's kind of got a, a central point. They're like, yeah, okay, like this is who we are and they feel part of that. Um, so, so that certainly helped to kind of preserve that basically. Yeah, no, that's great. We did a similar exercise with kind of core values and, uh, and we're going through kind of what what the brand actually means. It's actually quite difficult. Like, it's not an easy thing to sit down and do. Um, so, no, it's good that you did it so early. Um, and it seems from, like, everything you see on social media about Ayrton, so when I've chatted to you about the team and everything, and even just the way you spoke about them there, but everything seems, like, super positive within the company. I mean, I know you guys do your kind of circuit workouts in the meadows. I don't know if they're compulsory, because maybe that's not a nice thing. No, um, they're, not, they're not compulsory, but um, they're definitely... It seems like everyone does it. It's quite... Uh, well, there's a kind of dedicated about five or six. Um, and, yeah, it's just really good fun. Like, that was kind of totally um, driven by Lauren, our kind of business development manager. Like, um, she was wild keen on CrossFit. And uh, and it was kind of like, yeah, okay, I, like, I've kind of heard of CrossFit and she was like, oh, I'll run a session at lunchtime and everyone just kind of piled in on a Tuesday and kind of do. So now it's interesting. We've been keeping it up virtually. She posts on our Slack channel, like, right, this is this week's kind of exercise. And then people kind of do it when, when they get a moment. So you get a lot of kind of uh, red, sweaty face pictures <laughs> kind of coming up in our company oh, channel. Brilliant. But it's just like a really good, good fun. Um, uh, yeah. And I really like just that stuff like that happens. Um, and it's kind of organic. People have have decided yeah, to nice. do it because because it's something they like doing, and they've brought that with them. Uh, and I think we've all benefited from that. Uh, though maybe my abs don't agree. Have you done anything? <laughs> uh, no, it's definitely a difficult one. Um, have you done anything other than the kind of virtual CrossFit stuff? Have you managed to do anything during this kind of lockdown process that's kind of kept everyone together? I know there's loads of ideas kicking around social media, but is there anything that's worked really well for you guys? Yeah. I mean, um, so we do like we we've since we were maybe kind of eight or nine, we've done a kind of weekly all hands meeting. Um, uh, so we do that kind of lunchtime on a Wednesday, uh, and that's kind of transfer trans kind of formed into a big Zoom meeting. Um, and then on kind of Friday afternoons, um, we have kind of like a like a virtual beer at like four o'clock, and that's kind of currently it's kind of transformed into kind of virtual pub quiz and things like that so that yeah it's good to right. just see everyone in a kind of socially uh but virtually um and it's it's 
it's been quite interesting and kind of um, how how we've actually ma- managed that kind of transition to working totally remotely. Uh, it'd be interesting. I don't like we certainly we weren't set up for it um, until kind of relatively recently, and it, it's yeah. actually it's it's a credit to everyone they've just kind of taken it in their straight straight so oh, yeah cool we don't go to the office now we just uh speak to people on hangouts and yeah it it's been uh it's been good no that's great i was gonna ask you about that i mean did you guys have the odd work from home day rather than just being set up from work from home yeah i mean like um we'd always been pretty flexible in terms of just like look if you need to work from home that's fine like just try and um you know try and dial into the the kind of stand-ups or any meetings if you can and um and, and generally can operate it on on a fairly kind of high level of trust that people knew and, and be able to kind of reach out if they were stuck and needed anything um and so it's really just it's just an extension of that really um yeah. you know we've had to kind of do upgrade our uh our kind of uh, Zoom account <laughs> credentials and things like that. But, um, yeah, it hasn't radically changed um, how we actually in- operate. Nice. Now, we, we, uh, we've we kept a free Zoom because I really like the idea of that you've got 40 minutes to get your meetings done. It's um, not long enough for a virtual pub quiz, though. Like, oh, you know. yeah, well, I've, I've got one tonight, <laughs> so I'm planning on sending two Zooms because, yeah, you're right. For the social stuff, it's not long enough. But it's actually been really helpful for some of our internal meetings that you know you've got 40 minutes, so, like, hurry up and do it. Yeah, exactly. um, but yeah, we weren't uh, we weren't set up at all. I mean, we'd never really done any work from home. Um, so yeah, we were the same as you guys. Just kind of that was just the new normal of you don't come into the office now. So to see how we get on. Um, so no, it's good to hear this went well. Um, and I suppose uh, kind of the last few things. Then um, you've hired quite a lot now since being the two of you, and then to kind of where you are now. What have you kind of learned through that process? Have you got a thought on kind of how do you build that that kind of high performing team in that technology space that you're working in? Um, oh, that's quite a challenging question, I guess. Um, yeah, I think um, <laughs> yeah, hiring is like a really interesting process to go through. Like, especially like it's I mean, it's amazing how much everyone brings like that that's the kind of thing we kind of generally hire for for potential rather than like what what they've necessarily got on their uh their cv experience was and certainly yeah. we've taken in like as we were growing um we've taken in quite a few people out of the kind of code can program um, and we've just found like just some amazing team members through that who aren't like they don't have a software background really and they've just done a, a fairly kind of intensive 16 week course on it and some of those people are just like it's amazing like how much they've developed in the time that they've been with us um so it's always been like just judging people based on what you think they're capable of and and what they can bring that's not necessarily like just what what you need um you know like hey can you program language why great like there's so many people out there that that can do that but can you like what else can you like do you know about doing customer support have you yeah one guy was a technical writer people have been chefs just loads of random life skills um that help like that bring a lot to the company um you know you can kind of teach someone how to to write software but um yeah like uh just yeah it's interesting just how much um how much it's kind of gut feel as well and like culture fit and, and a bunch of other stuff um well like 
you know, is this person on paper really good? Uh, like, would they be able to kind of, like, will they work well within the existing people within these? Like, are we too kind of, yeah, do they need more structure than we can provide? Like, there's a lot of kind of challenging choices when when hiring. I like that answer. I like the looking at potential a bit of gut feel that comes up quite a lot when we've asked those questions is how a lot of it's what we do as well is based on kind of gut feel i mean yeah you mentioned cool clan that's a great example of kind of people that have made that choice to completely change what they're doing so they've obviously got a bit of commitment behind it Um, yeah definitely it's not it's not not cheap either no i think it's kind of it's, it's an interesting it shows you that someone's serious about making a change to their life and backing themselves. Because something, I mean, effectively, for a lot of people, like that whole kind of school, uni route, it's kind of the the path of least resistance. You know, you did reasonably well at school. You've got the grades you could get in. Uh, yeah, I don't really know what I want to do, so I'll just go to uni. And um, I mean, like, I guess that's kind of what I did. Like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so it felt like the next natural step. Um and so I have like, the utmost respect for people who decide, you know what, like I'm doing something else and I'm not happy and I want to learn something and I'm willing to put down my own money and and take a punt on that. Like that, yeah. it's kind of that kind of entrepreneurialism and, and kind of risk taking kind of certainly chimes and, and you've got to give them a level of kudos um, for, for taking that chance. Yeah, no, 100%. And obviously we're in a bit of a strange time in the whole the whole world, really. But um, what does uh, what does kind of the rest of the year look like for for you and the team? Is it kind of stick to what you have been doing and, and helping the customers you have been and trying to win some more, or, or is there anything else on the horizon? Um, yeah, I mean, like so far, it's kind of um, it's shaping up to be pretty busy. Like we've got a lot of kind of expansion of of kind of existing sites, basically, into different countries. Nice. Um, and there's kind of hopefully the kind of um, into different we've got at least one other firm um, like a new logo to kind of expand into and, and that's also kind of going to be a slightly different hosting model as well so that has its own kind of technical challenges so there's a whole bunch of work um, around that and just kind of general product improvements uh, and kind of getting a chance to, to, to make some quite exciting new features and things so yeah, I, I don't see. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't see twenty twenty being uh, being kind of quiet by any means. <laughs> Good. And is it easy for you guys to implement into different countries? Like, is it a pretty once the solution's up and running and you can find the pain points and the problems? Like, does it does it matter where those people are? At, at the moment, um, it's been pretty. Yeah, I mean, the the kind of idea, um, just kind of unifying staffing and and um has been pretty pretty transferable um there is obviously kind of there's some work we're doing around kind of localization like so far everyone's been happy with with um just purely english up to this point but um yeah we've got some work on the and the kind of stack which is about um localizing it for um uh, into different languages so that that'll also kind of help help the product go further but yeah like like people understand like the actual the, the thing that it's solving um for businesses it seems fairly universal so far nice um no it sounds good uh, and then lastly kind of out with work um since we always get yeah. onto this on the podcast as well uh you mentioned on your twitter that you're a bit of a runner 
Uh, <laughs> is that a, you like to go for a run for a bit of fun or do you do a lot of competing? Uh, well, not not anytime soon. Well, yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, no, I kind of I I took up distance running uh, probably in my my early twenties, and it just kind of it's kind of spiraled out of control. Um, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was anything really beyond a, a kind of amateur. I'm certainly not uh, I'm not in line to kind of get a vest or get a call up for anything. But I just uh, <laughs> I, I found it's kind of. Uh, it's quite a kind of uh, masochistic uh, sport. Like you're quite isolated, and you're kind of it's really about how far you can push yourself. Yeah. Uh, and so, but it's also about it's very different from you know like kind of day to day jobs, sitting down at a computer typing things. It's quite static uh, on Zoom calls and Skype calls and Google Hangouts and things. So yeah. just kind of that that kind of. Uh, getting out and moving and being away from any distractions. Um, uh, yeah, I find that that balance enormously beneficial. And um, I've been like, over the years, I've done kind of races and, and just really interesting places all around Scotland and different kind of kinds of races. And just, um, yeah, it's just a kind of a really simple, uh, you know, at, at its core, it's just like a really simple thing to do. Like just put your trainers on and go outside. Um but um, yeah, it's it's given me an enormous amount back uh, from my own kind of just happiness and fitness. And, no, that's great. Uh, and is it kind of marathon distance, or do you mix it up and do loads of different stuff? I do anything. Like, uh, like I'm not like I'm not really a track runner or anything like serious like that. Just like yeah. anything from the park run, you know, like five k up to. Um, I was training for a, a kind of ultra marathon this year, um, but that's been <laughs> kiboshed. Um, but um, yeah, I just like I just enjoy being out and like um, seeing people and kind of running with them and speaking to them. And yeah, it's just really it's a really it's a really fun hobby. Yeah, no, it's, and it's a good community. And like you said, there's a low barrier to entry to it as well. Um, yeah. There is a there is a little bit of like when you get into ultra marathon and Ironman and stuff. I feel like there's there's yeah. a little there's a little bit of uh, I don't know like glutton for punishment. <laughs> yeah, I think as long as you don't kind of take it too seriously, like. Or well, I mean, like, fair enough. You know, if you if you actually want to be a, a really decent athlete, then obviously you need to kind of knuckle down. But I think if you just kind of um, if if you don't worry too much about times and just do it for your own enjoyment and kind of accept that some days you'll have off days and other days like you, you'll feel like you could just go twice as far. Um, then yeah, I, th- I think it, it has a as a kind of as an exercise, it's got a lot to offer. Um, and I think currently, you know, with our one one government mandated uh, <laughs> venture outside, then a, a lot of people will be trying to discover the joy of running. So power to them. Yeah, if you can stretch it out to twenty six miles, then yeah. Um, no, I got yeah. the dreaded uh, the dreaded notification yesterday that someone's done the five pound donation to NHS to do a five k, and then oh, you nomin- yeah. and then you nominate five people, and I've been tagged in it. So ah. um, I'm going to have to see if I either get out of it or just probably do it. Um, yeah. So no, that's great. Doesn't matter how long it takes, just get out there and uh, yeah, try and enjoy it. Yeah, I will do. I did one half marathon, never again. Um, <laughs> and just lastly, then um, to finish up, uh, where can we find um, you and Ertz on social media? If people want to check you guys out. Um, so our website's www.ertz.co.uk, and our Twitter handle is I think it's Ertz Ltd. Um, yeah, I'm just so looking at it now. Yeah, um, currently we're kind of. 
we're possibly in the middle of a of a rebrand. So how long we will remain Ertz is is uh, an interesting one. But yeah, if you stay, oh, that's, exi- that's exciting. Yeah, you, know, you know what a cliffhanger to end on. But um, yeah, we, <laughs> we recently just kind of um, we we launched the kind of new version of our website, which which looks vastly much better than whatever uh, we cobbled together years ago. So um, and that's a big shout out to there's um, this really nice local design firm called Morium, uh, and they've they've yeah done some great work in that. And the same kind of um, Melissa and Jordan, um, our kind of marketing team, kind of drove that forward. So um, nice, yeah, no, that's great. Shout out to them. Nice, and then uh, we've also got um, at Alistair underscore Andrew for anyone that wants to to follow you as well. Yeah, they can see me uh, generally kind of. Making some bad puns, probably. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I try and occasionally put some nuggets of useful information, but uh, yeah, I, that's not what Twitter's for, so that's fine. Uh, um, all right, brilliant. Opinions. Well, thanks very much for coming on. No, um, it, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for um, yeah, thanks for organising it and uh, like being persistent enough that it actually <laughs> happened, like uh, within one calendar year of suggesting it. <laughs> I know that's quite impressive, yeah. um, but no, I'm looking forward to seeing how you guys get on and, and where the product goes, and obviously keeping an eye on the rebrand as well. Yeah. Um, so thanks very much. Good. Yeah. Thanks, Liam. I'm really glad we finally managed to get that done. Alistair and I have been chatting back and forward for months. Um, I had to cancel due to illness. Um, we had to reschedule some diaries, uh, and then you know, kind of COVID hit. Um, so now we did it remotely. But uh, anyway, um, uh, it was great to finally chat and find out about the the Ayers journey and indeed Alistair's. Uh, he's a super interesting guy. Um, he spoke at a Scotland Mail event we had uh, late 2019, uh, and uh, he was getting tons of questions from the audience and then further um, kind of into the networking event as well. So. Um, um, really great company, uh, an amazing example of some of the work being done in Scotland um, when it comes to data and uh, tech startups. Really, um, so yeah, interesting to see where they go in the next in the next few years. Thanks for listening, uh, and thanks to Cathcart for sponsoring the podcast, um, and I'll see you all soon.